What's up, podcast listeners? This, as always, another amazing, fantastic, wonderful guest on the Map Action Show, Anna Oaks. She is, I mean, I, I don't even know how to describe all the amazing things she's done. Um, let's st- first start off with, on the Enneagram, we're both eights. So we kind of like semi, you know, hated each other, loved each other all in one. And then all of a sudden we realized we just have very, very similar life philosophies. I was a guest on her podcast. We'll include the link in show notes as well too. But her background, she's been a TEDx speaker. She's building highly effective teams. She is just coming in to help large, small, medium-sized startups, any type of organization. How do you appropriately build awesome, thriving amazing teams. And that's not just people who like each other. That's people who are not afraid to have appropriate levels of conflict. And she is just doing some balling, amazing work. And I'm just really, really inspired by the human being that she is and uh, just the impact that she's having in the world. So enjoy this podcast. Tune in. I was also a guest on hers. We'll include that as well, too. So just enjoy everything that she's doing. Follow her on LinkedIn. Anna, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Anna, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Oh, thanks, Matt. I'm stoked to talk to you. We have become pals over LinkedIn, so this is going to be fun to dive a little bit deeper, and I'm excited to hear about your background. Uh, You've got craziness going on at home with twins, right? Yeah, twin (laughs) nine-year-olds. How are you surviving homeschooling in the midst of all this? Oh, man. I think I'm surviving like everybody is, which is really scrappy. (laughs) Like, you're just being (laughs) scrappy, you know, because that's the time that we're living in where things changed quite dramatically with personal and professional lives around the world. Like there's never been, you know, it's just unprecedented how quickly things changed for everybody. And so from somebody like me who has a passion for sort of watching the ant farm and understanding how the ants move, like from a systems perspective, I'm always really curious how humans react, how humans within a systems react or a system, I should say, React And so I've been watching how the school district has moved, how my clients have moved their businesses, how individuals are making decisions. It's so as much as I'm like, oh, man, I wish my kids had, you know, other friends to play with and their teachers who are dramatically more gifted at uh, this day-to-day teaching thing than I am. Um, I am also very grateful for them to be home and really grateful or maybe excited actually to see the personal growth, uh, both individually and maybe collectively as humanity that'll come out of this. So you literally view the whole world from like an organizational psychology lens. I do. It's really hard because my husband- <laughs> Which is sometimes probably amazing and then sometimes it's like, just shut it off and think normally. <laughs> like I can't. We're watching, I don't know what Eddie Murphy, what, what Eddie Murphy movie was that where he was the uh, movie guy? Did you see that? Okay, so for example, I think my husband is probably most frustrated with my view of the world because we can't watch a show without me analyzing and like wanting to stop and think about how that person's reaction and how's that going to affect the end. I mean, we watched uh, Dolomite with Eddie Murphy, which is a great movie, by the way, if you don't mind uh, cursing and a little bit of raunch, which we don't. Um, It's a really, really well-made movie. And even that, I was like, man, there's so many leadership lessons in here. And he just looks over like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) He's like, just watch the movie and laugh when it's funny and cry when it's sad and just be normal. (laughs) I know, I tried so hard. That's good. So I'd love to hear the background, you know, the story about, you know, you just... I'd love just to kind of hear where you come from and just the, the the life of Anna. What's the story? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I always joke and say that I was raised by hippies because my parents obviously grew up in the 60s 
you know, but they'll argue, they'll say like, oh, we're not really hippies. But but here's sort of why I label it that because people can sort of get what I say when I when I say, oh, I was raised by hippies. They go, oh, yeah, we get it. Because I was raised by parents who were super supportive, very much like go with the flow, not in terms of no rules or regulations, but just like follow who you are and gave permission, I believe, from a very early age for me to be who I was, which was dramatically different from who my brother was. You know, we were very opposite when we were younger, introverted, extroverted. Um, He really excelled at school. I always really struggled uh, through my academic career, uh, probably up until my MBA. But yeah, just didn't really enjoy that experience. So we had these like polar opposites uh, in our house. So a little experiment going on there about like, how do you figure out who you are amongst these people who are obviously still figuring out who they are and not just my brother, but my parents as humans. So quick question of that is, is a uh, older brother, or younger brother, older brother, two years older. That's fascinating because I have one older sister and she's three years older yeah. and she was amazing in school, very analytic, like 4.0. And I was like the exact opposite. Yeah. And now she just had a baby a couple of weeks ago, actually. But like even up and before that, we've shifted almost. She's become more not extroverted, but mm-hmm. more uh, less analytical. And I become more analytical. Mm-hmm. And so just like seeing that transition. So I, I totally can resonate with that. Yeah. And I think you see that shift in, in yourself. I mean, just speaking personally from my experience when I was younger, you know, I don't know if it was because my brother was so smart and, you know, a lot of, um, I guess, our family dynamic related to him revolved around that, you know, like, does how, what kind of support does he need emotionally, you know, to skip a grade, for example, because he was sort of the runt in his class. So how would that affect him? And, you know, that's not to say he got all the attention. But when it was about Jesse, it was really about that academic as far as I could remember. And for me, then it was just like, oh, school was all about socialization. <laughs> like, my mom found these early uh, report cards for me. And they all they all pretty much just say the same thing, Matt, which is, you know, Anna is very loyal, uh, very committed to her friends and her teacher. <laughs> Doesn't always enjoy the academic aspects of class. And I was like, well, duh, that's what we're here for. We're here to be with these other humans, you know. Exactly. Why would we why are we not socializing at school? Why don't we just go home if we're just trying to learn? You're that's, just distracting that's... me with this academic math stuff and everything else. Yeah. That's so funny. On one of my report cards, uh, I think one of the one of my early third or fourth grade teacher says really difficult to get mad at Matt because he's very social. He pays attention in class, but he's definitely a distraction because all the kids go over to his desk to hang out. Yes. And it's like, yeah, I don't know how you're upset with me. They're coming to me. Right. I'm, I'm just hanging. I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing. Come on now. Completely. <laughs> and that's so my son. I mean, he just is that he's not really loving school, the academic side of school. He misses his friends uh, desperately given that we're in quarantine and my daughter does too, but she really just enjoys the academic challenge. Challenge. Like she wakes up in the morning right now when we're supposed to be homeschooling. She'll go to her Chromebook. She'll look at all the homework and she like her goal is to get it done by eight o'clock in the morning. And oh, then like rolls out of bed at 830. And it's like, oh, what do we have to do for class today? You know, just- yeah. Can't we skip it? Can't we just like go, you know, talk and hang out? Yeah, yeah. And then me, you know, I'm sort of that rebel who's like, yeah, why don't we? Why don't we just do that? Like, do we really need to know what a parallelogram is? Like, I don't know if that served me at all in my career. Exactly. But I don't I want to that. indulge anything either and like turn him into a mini me when, you know, I, I really do desperately want him to have a, a 
bigger love for learning than I had at his age, you know? So, so yeah, so that was sort of the, the dynamic in my home. And I think another important dynamic, uh, was that I grew up in a really strong Christian home. Um, and so my parents were always like taking us to church and I really look back on that and, you know, not to say, and not to get into too much of what my faith is today, because that's just really kind of a moot point. But I look back at that phase and I, I believe that part of the reason why I loved going to church at a young age, even through like junior, senior high, is because I looked at it the same way I did at school, which was it was another community. And that's really what I'm getting at when I say I was raised by hippies is I was raised by people who believed that you like that sort of concept of communal living in the sense that we are a community and we don't turn our back on people. And so my mom was a high school teacher. My dad was a lawyer, but not the type of lawyer that you would normally think of. Like he was the city attorney and he did a lot of pro bono work and just, just really good people who gave back to their community. And, you know, regardless of the, you know, if you, regardless of your religious beliefs, you know, I looked at that again as this like organizational opportunity to be with people, to be fueled by people, and then also to serve. I, I that was just what I was called to do from a very young age, which is serve in those communities and not just sit on the sidelines, but actually be a leader. And and probably not always effectively, right? Because I was started at a very young age, but that path or that like natural talent set for me showed at a very young age, my ability to sort of gain favor from people and then influence, not for my own good, but for the community that we were in. So whether it was school or church, um, I was the one who said like, okay, here's where we're at. I can tell where this person, this leader, this pastor, this teacher, this whatever is trying to get us. And I'm going to, I'm going to have their back and I'm going to help move these people to that situation. I'm going to use my influence for good. So I saw that at a very early age. Yeah, that's cool. And also I want to give you the green light. If faith is something that's a, a part of you know your life or whatever capacity, feel, don't, feel free to talk about that because certainly that's something that's a part of my life and whatever faith background, religious background, I want to welcome that on the, on the show because okay. even if it's different than mine, I like, uh, I like learning other people's perspective as well too. So don't feel like you need to hold back on any of that. So you got the green light from me. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. So, so tell me, tell me a little bit about the professional life as well, too. Yeah. So interesting. I, you know, we'll go back to my relationship with academics, which was not necessarily to learn. Um, and then we fast forward to college where I went away for a year and didn't feel the need to go to class, but felt a strong need to socialize with all these brand new people. My parents weren't around. I'm an experiment with things like alcohol that I had never experimented with in high school. I mean, I did do I total transparency. I, I smoked a lot of weed in high school. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily that I was against um, like the, the drinking. I just never did it. It wasn't sort of my drug of choice or my, my thing of choice. And I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily recommend either for a high school student or college because that sort of led me to getting asked to leave. I got first asked to leave my sorority. <laughs> People always think like sororities are these hardcore partiers and, you know, not by the standard of where I went to school. Like they, they really stressed academics um, and I wasn't fulfilling my academic commitment. 
Uh, so they made me go to mandatory study hours. And then I wasn't fulfilling my social commitments either because they, I was underage and they did not want me to go to the bar anymore because I was acting like a fool, not necessarily at the night, but I wasn't keeping my end of the, of the bargain. So first they put me on probation, social probation, and then, or academic and social probation. And then the school uh, got involved too, because I just didn't go to class. And so they eventually asked me to leave after that year. I spent that you know, fall semester, spring semester, and then that summer. And then they said, no, you can't, you can't come back. So I took a year to mature. Can I ask a quick question on that? So the, uh, the organizational psychologist view of the world that you have, uh, what was it that, were you seeking something or were you, were you seeking to get out of something in the midst of all that? God, I don't know. I think, I, I think, that's a really interesting perspective. The reason why I'm, I'm also fascinated by this is because uh, and and for those listening, I had no idea how kind of similar life stories you and I have, yeah. even to the background. Dad was an oral surgeon. Mom was uh, a nurse until um, she had us and then stayed at home. And then she's actually now back. But not when you think tradition, like people super involved in the community gave a lot. I mean, so just hearing mm-hmm. sort of even the, the relationship between parents and my dad, very strict, rigid, you know, rigid discipline, but like understood that I was not going to become a doctor and mm-hmm. was like, I want to fuel your entrepreneurship. However, I can support you. We need to teach you how to make your bed and have some discipline, but I'm also not going to force you into a box. So just like very similar. I, I don't know. So also like the growing up in a Christian faith, having my own rebellious side of things, and then now having a faith of my own sort of, it's, it's amazing how similar kind of background stories there are. And so I'm just curious, like, was there something driving the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the quote unquote wild side, whatever you want to define that as. Yeah. I mean, I think some of that is just my natural rebellion. I, I've never been a big fan yeah, love of that. Like, structure and authority, and, which is so funny. Do you know what, eight, do you know what Enneagram you are? Yeah. What I'm, are you? I'm an eight. Oh gosh. We are identical. <laughs> <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yeah, I know. I think so. I, well, it's either we're going to be best friends. We're going to hate each other after an hour because we're going to oh, debate okay. the whole time. <laughs> I don't think we're going to hate each other. Yeah. No, yeah. So I think it was a little bit of this rebellious spirit of, Hey, I don't really like to be bound by authority. And yet realizing too, as a student of the system from a very early age that I understood that rules and what I like to call agreements, because that's a safer word for me. <laughs> like we, we're agreeing to act like this when we're in this community, right? So those things are pretty standard and they're needed because humans are fallible and we do make mistakes. And so, um, you know, that's why organizations that I work with when I'm like, look, I don't want you to be too rule heavy, but I do want you to have an outline so people understand that this is the way we would like you, the direction we would like you to go, not the exact way you'd like to, we'd like you to behave, but the direction and, and humans, humans do that. I think, Matt, that the college experience and there's certainly a pattern since then, um, comes out of, I had an abusive relationship in high school. So for over a year and a half, I was with somebody who was heavily involved in a gang. Um, and for growing up in a middle-class, um, home and, you know, having such a community-based family, uh, they definitely did not know how bad it was until later. Um, but that certainly mm, affected the way that I viewed relationships and didn't necessarily make me gun shy, but I don't think, even though I went to therapy at a young age and still am a believer of active therapy, uh, I definitely had not healed enough um, to be put in these situations with um, 
you know, people that I was attracted to, um, with like new, uh, distractions, you know, because I wasn't solid enough in, in regaining or maybe reclaiming my power as a human, um, to be then out sort of out of my own. And I really did need that, that what I call that bump year of maturing time to go back to work. And then when I went back, Matt, my parents were like, cool, you messed up the first time financially. So you're on your own this time. Like, we're going to emotionally support you. I lived with them during my off year, but they're like, you do have to pay for school yourself now. And I think they realized by that time that I needed more of that skin in the game if I was going to be successful. And they were right. I did. I got my best grades. Uh, the last three years of my schooling while I worked full time. I like that a lot. It's a, it's a chip on your shoulder. You never know you need it and cool for your parents. I'm sure, you know, whatever the circumstance, they would have happily paid for it round two, but the lesson that you learned or whatever the circumstance doesn't matter. But the fact that it forced you to say, I guess I got to own this. It's a very different fuel when it's versus, yeah, we'll cover it. There's just something different about it. So that's, that's, that's special. And that was hard too to, to admit to myself, Matt, over the years of like therapy and just doing my own reflection is gosh, am I just like a horrible person? Like, am I, did I just completely crap on the two people who have never left my side and always had my back? And I realized that it wasn't personal to them. It was very personal to me. It wasn't about harming. I mean, I lost friends, you know, through that abusive relationship. And, you know, then even after that, uh, don't really keep in touch with people that I went to school with those first, that first year, because I just needed to personally, I needed to separate from all that sort of trauma in and of itself. And like maybe with a small T, uh, but what stemmed from a trauma with, with a big T, you know, so I just needed to have maybe that fresh start where I said, all right, now I now I'm figuring out more and more every day who I am or who I'm going to be. And therefore, I can't you know, I'm just sort of that person, like almost like an addict where you're like, you can't have the thing in front of you if you're addicted to it. I just needed to move through those old phases of my life and not have those relationships or connections anymore. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, first off, thank you for uh, the sharing about the abusive relationship. I'm Whether, you know, whatever the circumstance, that's not always easy to share. So thank you for being mm-hmm. uh, vulnerable on that. So let's transition a little bit. Um, so you you have a background in the talent acquisition world. How did that all come about? And, you know, when did that first begin? I'd love just to hear, you know, whatever you're willing to share, kind of the background on the on the you know business side. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I like it's not just the talent acquisition side. I sort of say it's the talent side. And for me, it's all about leveraging talent or the humans within a within an organization to get better business results. And for me, when I took that time off that year, Matt, I actually ended up working for State Farm Insurance and was like a temporary receptionist. And then they offered to hire me on as a claims representative, even though I hadn't got my degree yet or anything. So it was a very big compliment. And I decided that I wanted to work full time and go to school full time. So they transferred me to their headquarters, which was in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. Um, And at the time I was living in uh, Quad Cities, uh, which is right on the border of Illinois and Iowa. So I decided to move and I go to school full time and and I work for State Farm. And again, I look back on that time and I was like, I don't remember a lot about those classes that I went to. I was very diligent about going to them. But for me, it was all about that work world. Like I just loved it. I loved being in this community. 
I'm a very, very loyal person. Like my mom would say, even when she was, uh, when I was younger, she would have a teacher that she didn't, or I would have a teacher she didn't favor as much, but it didn't matter. She said, every teacher you had like walked on water. They were just the bee's knees. So I think that carried into this like loyalty for this company, which actually is an amazing company, State Farm. I worked for them for just over five years, uh, cut my teeth in the leadership world, uh, worked in their call center, which was open 24-7, 365, and did split shifts, did night shifts, did third shifts, all while going to school, um, and really displayed what I would consider was very natural talents or strengths for me, which is like I was always a rebel, so I wanted to... And rebel in a positive way in my my mind, which is like, how can we make this better? You know, like I'm a maximizer in that sense. Like I want to make where we are. I want to leave it better than where we started. Um, and then I also had a natural curiosity. So I asked a lot of questions um, and I wanted to understand. And I also wasn't very afraid of giving my opinion and not in a, a what I would say, like an authoritative way, because I, I certainly have memories of when I was little being such a strong, big spirit like I am, um, which my, my daughter is too, by the way. When you're a young girl, that, that certainly at the time was not promoted outside of my family. Like I got told uh, to shut up, to be quiet. I was too bossy. I mean, feedback from adults and kids, you know, and it's like, I, I think I was just it was almost like wearing shoes that are too big for you. Like I hadn't grown into them yet. So obviously I was clunky. Um, and I certainly realized that about my own kids, that they are going to trip a lot when they're playing in their strengths because they're trying to grow into something. They're trying to grow into this something that is incredibly powerful and can be a tool to get them from here to there. But it, they're not they're not big enough to like totally embody it yet. So, yeah, I think just from an early age at State Farm, I got a lot of opportunities to be, it started out, I think, as like an interim, or what did they call that? Like a, um, it's like an ad hoc trainer, right? So they had a pretty good training team, pretty good size in their HR team that did all the trainings and facilitation. And look, this was back in the day of like corporate universities where if anybody knows sort of had, has been through that, there was just hundreds of classes and most of them were in person. So they had a huge facilitation team. But they had needs where they were like, look, these are pretty easy classes. We built the facilitator's guide. Do you guys want to come in and teach them? And so you go through a train the trainer. Um, and I had a passion for facilitating in that room and not because I wanted necessarily people to learn exactly the content I was sharing, but because I wanted them to take this experience and apply it to themselves. Like I have very high individualization right? Strength, which is like my ability to sort of see people individually very unique and understand how they can apply, um, you know, certain situations. So just from a very young age, I think that was it, Matt, that curiosity that I displayed, that ability to stand up and, and speak up, which got me then promoted there. Uh, I then got recruited to go to a print marketing company and do, uh, I was a director of customer care. So just that sort of that customer care how are we nurturing both the brand that I represent and the clients that I represented, which at the time were very big uh, American family insurance, state farm insurance was one of our print marketing companies. So like a lot of these really big brands that I was able to learn a lot from, um, but then lead this customer care team of a, of a hodgepodge of crazy people all in the best way, uh, trying to get them to provide awesome phone service, you know, to, um, to these clients. So, 
I, I think, again, that was a very big strengthening time for me was that experience, um, you know, at State Farm and then at that print marketing company, which was PII, Progressive Impressions International. I haven't looked at them in a while. I hope they're still still doing well. But uh, yeah, and so I have, you know, that was the time where I was still doing like these customer care roles, thinking more about operations. Um, and then I got recruited to go to a company here in Milwaukee called Direct Supply, which is uh, they supply services and, and resources for the long-term care industry. So an amazing industry. And if you can imagine, Matt, 15 years ago when I started there, um, gosh, 15 years. Yeah. 15 years ago when I started there, they had huge growth goals. Obviously they knew the boomers were going to be retiring and that would be a big industry, but they also wanted to be the best kept secret in Milwaukee. And so I just started asking questions like, well, how are we going to grow and be the best kept secret? Don't we need talent to want to come work for us? You know? And I think that was just a very natural question for me based on the brands that I had represented to date. And to cut that story short, because that one goes pretty long, um, what I was able to do, Matt, was just start asking questions, giving suggestions. And finally, they said, okay, you have so many great opinions about this. And and, and not they weren't saying that in a, ma- a mean way, but they're like, do you just want to do this for a role? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So talent. Yeah, that's a nice compliment. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hi, whatever you were talking about, we just want to make that uh, we just want to make that a job for you. Yeah, that's perfect. Right. And that is like. Don't miss that, guys. If you're listening to this, like that is one of my best pieces of advice. People reach out to me every day on LinkedIn and say, like, what can I do to further my career? You can maximize where you're at right now. You can grow. You can ask. You can get involved. You can say yes. Join a committee. Go to the employee resource groups meetings. uh, Go to the happy hours. Like, get involved. Do not just show up, keep your head down, and expect things to happen for you. I know very few people who that has served in their career. So like, that was my first time of going like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Like <laughs> this is happening. And then they moved me to HR, which I was like, oh, I'm in HR. Like that's where this role is going to be. I knew nothing about HR, nothing. Um, so after getting over this kind of cold reception from the HR team, like who is this chick? What does she think she's doing? Um, and what's she going to do all day? Because really my job was to go socialize in the community, to build the brand with nonprofits, to build the brand with the heads of the wonderful universities we have here in, in Milwaukee, like Marquette University, like UW-Milwaukee, um, all of those great, great systems. And really just getting that brand out of like, here's why you want your talent. Here's why you want your friend, your aunt, your brother, your sister to come work for us. Um, and had a, had a blast doing that. And so really was, like you said, focused on that talent acquisition side, which is how do we get people to want to come work here, but also how do we prepare for them to come work here? Like we have to prepare a place for them. They have to be like really ready. We have to be ready for them. Like we have a guest coming in, like the guest room's not ready. We don't know what kind of work we're giving them. So it was two-sided, um, and just a really fun time to, to like find myself in this, this talent area. Um, and then I'll make this this last part pretty quick, Matt, because that goes that sort of accelerated my my career into HR. Uh, worked for Manpower Global Headquarters here in Milwaukee. It's fascinating that their global headquarters is here, but I love that it is because it's a it's an amazing company. They do a lot for our community, and I learned a lot there too. Um, I did my role quickly expanded from building their employer brand to understanding how sort of what I was talking about, not only how we attract, but how do we develop, retain, and engage. So we've got to keep our house in order if we want this talent to perform for us. And for me, it was always about performance. Um, And of course, I cared how people felt. But 
I knew that we had to perform as an organization. And so the way I got employers to pay attention to that is by talking about how, if we care about how people feel, we will actually get better performance. And, and, and that just really, for the first time, I think there resonated and, and was there for about four years, uh, got recruited to go to a financial services company here, uh, Robert W. Baird, um, and, and eventually took over their strategic arm of, of HR, which is their business partners, uh, their talent team, which is talent and organizational development, and then also their service side. So just a fun, a fun career. Like I, I just look back, I'm like, wow, I think I was just always open um, to understanding what was going on in the business and then go like, oh, okay, well, here's an idea that if that's what we're trying to do, here's an idea of how to do that. Uh, and that, that's what got me to where I am today, which is four years out of my own. I left corporate um, after 20 years, I left corporate America four years ago, and I am loving. I built a team of four people, and we're we're doing business as the build high-performing teams. Like that's what we're focusing on, and and our mission really is Matt to restore humanity into the work and the workplaces. Uh, because we we just after 20 years there, I believe that there is a need for more humanity. Like we can be focusing more on the human side, not only by making people feel good, but by understanding how humans make decisions um, and how we could be leveraging those decisions and that behavior for even better business results. Is your ideal team to work with one that's a blank slate, not established, and we're looking to grow a team or one that's already existing and needs some changes or has some problems or, you know, whatever, would it be, would it be coming in a totally blank slate or sort of working with something that's already been built? Yeah. Well, I work from fortune 500 companies down to small startups, Uh, you know, and there's people who are like, oh, you got a niche, you either got to do startups or big companies. But for me, I have found that I'm successful in that breadth because I know humans and I know how to look at the ant farm and understand, okay, so you want to, you want to get them from the left side to the right side and they only have one path there. Well, what if we created a different path and it looked like this? So I can do that in small and large companies, but to go back to your question about like, is it a blank slate or is it, is it an intact team? It's rarely a blank slate. I, I think there's rarely an opportunity for somebody like me that starts at the very beginning of a startup. Because even then, like the, the the they're scrappy for a long time. Those founders, like me, I didn't add to my team till two years after on my own. Now I could have used somebody like me very early on, but I couldn't afford it, and I also didn't have enough like. I guess, knowledge about what I truly wanted this to look like. And I hadn't necessarily stumbled enough in those shoes yet to, to be able to ask for the help that I really needed. So I don't know if it's realistic to think I could come in on a clean slate, although that would be super fun. I think where people, what I have noticed about human nature, Matt, is that whether it's a leader, a founder, or a team, they have to experience enough pain on their own before they will call on someone like me and before we can be really affected. Because if they bring me in too early, which some have, um, they haven't experienced enough pain, therefore they don't have enough motivation to change their behavior. It goes back to, uh, have you paid for your own college degree or not? Yes, like- <laughs> have you, have, have you worn a chip on your shoulder and, or, you know, have you had a reason to develop a chip on your shoulder or has it, you know, you, you don't really know how hard you're willing to work unless it's, you know, you're paying for, you got skin in the game. So I love that. Yeah, exactly. So I think the lessons, you know, I think my, my big errors in life or my big life lessons are very parallel to how I think humans work. And whether that's because I am 
putting on my own beliefs onto the system. That might be true, but I have found it to work with large and small organizations for, you know, 20 plus years now uh, of working in this space. And I'm, and I'm really good at it. And when I can meet, whether it's a one-on-one client that I'm coaching or it's a team that I'm consulting, like I just got a new client yesterday, who's a startup. Um, and they've been, I don't even know if I call them a startup. They've been at it for a few years, but they're ready to up-level. Even during this economy, they're ready to up-level and they want me to partner with them. And it's like, yeah, they're ready. Like the, the leader in the team has experienced enough like growing pains that they can't keep up with the work. So there's their pain. It doesn't always have to be bad. It has to be like enough motivation for them to say, we're ready to listen to someone else and we're ready to change our behavior too. Yeah. Love that. All right. You ready for a big question? Yeah, do it. What, uh, what impact do you want to have on the world, both in your, in your family and your work and in your community? What's, I mean, ultimately if I met you for an hour and never met you again, and Mm -hmm. I said, Anna did blank for me, what do you want? What would you, what would you want that, that sentence to be filled in with? Yeah. Wow. I think I would love for you or any other human that I interact with to leave our time together better than you came into it. And not because I'm smarter than you or more special than you, but because I shared my energy with you because I was real with you and because I was authentic with you. And and hopefully you did the same, you know, and therefore we leave collectively different than when we came into this, you know, we're energetic beings, we will be influenced by each other. And so I want to use that, that my energy, my big energy that I haven't always uh, known how to fit into I want to make sure that I'm using that to serve whoever I'm talking to in that conversation. Um, And then from a larger scale, my mission is to restore humanity into the work and workplaces. And so that to me leads a lot of what I do. And that is a big bucket. It is a big bucket. But I do believe that collectively we can do that. And that means we have to have more transparent conversations about the things that are not serving us, that are not working within these systems, whether it's a church, a school, a nonprofit, a large company, or a startup. Like we find very similar themes that we could be slowing down to speed up. Like we have to slow down, think about what we're doing it, why we're doing it, and who we're doing it with. And once we do that, we can speed up. But it's got to be about that pause. I like that a lot. My uh, my my last and my favorite question in the world, it kind of kind of goes along the same lines is I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, well, for sure, my, 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 I call them my acorns because my last name's Oaks. So for sure, my acorns, um, they get me out it's of It's got to be on the back of like some kids, kids football jersey or something like that. Totally. Acorn number one, acorn number two, Team Oaks. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be, they would love it. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, so, you know, I guess they get me out of bed, but I'm, I'm usually up before them. I have a, what I call the Sutton curse, which is my maiden name. And my dad, my brother and all. And I are all um, early risers. So I usually am up naturally between 4.30 and 5. And what I love to do is uh, to create a rhythm. Like I love my morning routine, which is great. But for me, I have to maximize early because I'm not really good late in the evening. So I have to think about what are my big rocks that I need to attack. And I got to go, I got to do those first. And then that fuels me for that little bit of time that I get to spend with my kids typically before they go to school or now more than a little bit of time that I get to spend with them. Um, because I do, I want to do good work for the people that I have agreed to do that with, whether that is a volunteer experience or a board that I serve on or clients that are paying me or people that reach out and just ask for my advice every day on social media. Like I want to, I can't do it all. 
And I have spent too much of my career, Matt, wearing a cape, thinking I could save the world, um, or even without a cape, but I can't. I can't. I can do my part, and I'm going to do my part really, really well. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, humanity will do their part, too. Amazing. I love that. And I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm going to make sure to include, uh, I know you've got a Ted talk as well too, but is there any, um, I guess if people want to reach out to you, uh, where should they go? And then is there any, we'll include any like social handles in the show links as well too, but is there any, you know, anything in particular you want to direct them, the audience members towards? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, get, get in touch with us on our website, a uh, long website name, but it's worth it. So build high performing teams.com. Uh, you can find us there. We've got free guides that we put out, um, anxiety at work, mindsets of high-performing teens, owning your career, right, which is a, a nice pairing guide to my TEDx talk, which was how to maximize where you're at right now. Like Use this to get stronger, faster, better before you move to your best next. And if you do that really well, maybe you'll be surprised um, as to what your best next will be. So check out the website. Um, that'll also put you in touch with our podcast, which drops every Tuesday. That's the Build High Performing Teams podcast. We also have our Humankind blog, uh, which we try to do weekly. Uh, I say we and my team would be like, well, Anna, that's definitely on you. Uh, we don't do it as consistently as, as we can, but I'm working, I'm working on that to make sure we're – because community is really big for us. So I don't want to just be serving the people who pay me money. Um, if I really want to impact the world of work and the workplaces, I need to be putting out, I have an obligation to be putting out as much content um, that I think could be helpful. So check us out on Instagram. You can contact me there at the Anna Oaks. Um, it's O-A-K-E-S. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Uh, yeah, I just really enjoy being connected to people. And I think as much as my family tries to be tech free as much as we can, there is a very lovely value to social media, especially in times like this. I mean, think about this. If this happened in this magnitude 20 years ago, we would not have modern technology. We wouldn't be talking to each other like this. We wouldn't be having Zoom calls. We wouldn't be texting each other funny memes, you know? So it's just, you know, we're, there's a lot to be grateful for in terms of what social media and the internet has given us. And, and that certainly, certainly is great. So and I guess I, I'll say too, right now, given that we are in a time of uh, quarantine or self-isolation, uh, we're doing a lot of things virtually. We have a free on-demand webinar out there about leading through change. Uh, change is an amazing time of growth for individuals and for teams. And so if a leader can really maximize this time to say, I, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to take my commitment to you very seriously, uh, it's not my job to do your job, but it is my job to provide you with the resources, support, and encouragement you need. So hoping that we can we can help leaders that way too. Love that. That's amazing. And thank you for uh, thank you for sharing all that and diving in as well too. Um, Anna, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, you know, I mean, it, go easy on yourselves right now, guys. So whether you're listening to this in April of 2020 or two years from now, you came back and listened to this episode. I think the same advice would be true that, you know, show yourself some grace. Uh, we can surely do hard things, but there are, you do not need to be Pollyanna and you don't have to have a positive outlook all the time. You know, you need to give yourself permission to sit in your poopy diaper for a little while before you like shake that off and get back to work or get back to life. So, you know, if that's 10 minutes during the day where you need to go cry in the shower, or if that's a, a mental health day, um, or even last year, you know, I gave myself a beat. I had my seventh surgery, had 28 years of chronic pain, had my surgery last year. I spent a lot of last year in bed and I didn't accomplish a lot for my 
for my company, but I did for my spirit. Like I took care of me and I did what I needed to do, even if it meant like not getting out of bed that day. And so we yeah. just need to give ourselves permission to do that more. Um, my, my wish for everybody is for peace and progress um, because I do feel like we need to be grounded in what makes us uh, who we are. And that's the peace. And then the progress is like, don't you want to get better? Be better tomorrow than you were today. Love that. Love that. Well, that's the inspiration I needed on this Friday. So thank you very much. Of course. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much you. for being a guest. Yeah, you um, got it. Take, <laughs> take care. All right. Peace. Peace.